When's the last time you used a phone book? Do you have a phone book in your house? No. Do you, Chad? No. <laughs> they they don't even deliver them anymore at our house. Really? I think I Boy. feel like I got something last year. I was probably a teenager. Yeah. Do you remember what you looked up? Probably not. Looking probably looking up somewhere I could buy a skateboard. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know idea. <laughs> <laughs> How do you do that with the phone book? <laughs> like do, a, do you go to the S, <laughs> like skate <laughs> skate shop? Yeah, well, the yellow pages. Sure. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Yellow, the yellow pages. Yeah. Did well. I think the last time I used one, where I actually needed it, I think I was looking up a pizza joint. Which uh, is it like a pizza restaurant? <laughs> when I say that. <laughs> Thank you. Why do I always get this? You're right here. Have Mark around my right. <laughs> you're because you're engaged. Mark is already disconnected. Oh. I feel like it just means no. I'm giving you blank stares. You're like, no. Oh, here. Well, let me tell no. the idiot what, what I mean. The, your keys are going to trick me, Chad. They look much like my keys. Oh, okay. I'll I feel, well, I don't want to take your keys accidentally. Put them in Vinny. Yeah. There you go. You have keys like He's that? Got more Those are keys your keys? than both of us. What the heck? <laughs> I gotta tell you, let's put all of our keys on the table here and just look at it. Oh. I feel like they're very similar. I only have three. I know yeah. all keys look five. the same, and we have a lot of the same keys. But here's what I here's what I'm noticing right now to the listener. Uh, there's from what I can see, no key fob for a car or a car key on any of our I carry key that rings. Separately, I as well. Yeah, and you. Oh, Chad. yeah. Chad? Yeah, I don't now, know. why do you guys do it? I do it because I have a master key to the church building, and I've found I would have to give it to people to say, because they say, can I go open this door? Yeah. yeah. Give them my keys, and I wasn't going to hand them this whole big fob and all my stuff, and this is much more portable. Okay. So it's for the person that uh, might need the key, in Mark's case. Yeah. Because he doesn't trust them not to steal his car. Yeah, same thing. I, I will hand it off to people during programs. Okay. But also... Like, if it's heavier, it can mess up your ignition, your keys. Oh. So try to make it as light as possible. You have um, you have a push button, don't you? No. You don't? Uh-uh. Your Fusion's not? No. I thought it was. It The fob looks like it because it's a switchblade. Oh, It's got the thing gotcha. where the key actually flips out. <laughs> yeah. And your Subaru, Chad, not a, not a push. Crazy. No, yeah. just a regular key. Well, mine's not either. Yeah, I got yeah. a standard, standard key, which blew Henry's mind because he had only, when he was growing up, he's six. In his earlier years, <laughs> earlier than six, you like to start the car and everything was push button. Every car that we had was push button. Yeah. I've never had a push button. Really? No. It uh, It's nice. I've, I found that uh, the Fords, because Rachel's dad works at Ford, the Fords that we had uh, had the outdoor keypad on it, so you could lock your car key in the car and just use the keypad yeah. to get in the car, which is very convenient if you're yeah. going to like the beach or Cedar Point or something like that. Yeah. Because you don't have to worry about losing your... I'm always stressed out about losing a key. Because mm-hmm. I've lost, temporarily lost them so many times. I threw my wallet away the other day. Hmm. <laughs> In the in the big garbage. Professional transition. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say this because uh, the neighborhood we live in has a, a neighborhood pool that you know obviously people in the neighborhood can use. And Rachel and Henry were there, and uh, what was this Sunday? It was Father's Day, and I got home from 
church and all kinds of stuff and then met them up at the neighborhood pool which i can walk to from from our house and i get there and there's this lady just digging through the garbage and a few people standing around and this was uh, not a young lady and I, I was like do you need do you need help i go you've got that i dropped something in the garbage uh, look on her face she goes I, my keys i accidentally just threw my keys in the garbage so I, you know, the garbage was knocked over and I got to tell you, uh, so he naturally threw his, so he threw his wallet away to make her feel better. <laughs> right. <laughs> it well, happens to everybody, ma'am. It's okay. I empathized with her because yeah. a, a couple of days earlier, I drove all the way to Home Depot to buy something and didn't have my wallet. And I was like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. <clears throat> and so I went into Home Depot. You don't have any on your iPhone? Yeah, do you have your watch? I, do you have your watch? I have all of it. Home Depot doesn't accept any of that. They don't They do not do Apple Pay. They don't do where you can what? tap. Like you have to insert or swipe the card. I asked the customer what? service. Yes, you is, can return anything you want. This is, what, this is what they told me. Did they have the new checkouts with their those massive screens? I bought a bracelet for 25 bucks that I can... <laughs> That I can return anything I want. Um, that was a reference to Mark earlier. Apparently, it, Mark got an insider's deal at the uh, le, or the uh, an Ava, insider's Ava, deal available to everybody <laughs> that I missed and completely <laughs> overpaid for carnival rides yeah. at the duct tape festival. So I had to drive all the way home. Couldn't find the wallet anywhere. It's driving me crazy. And then I remembered I carried some garbage out, you know, from the kitchen and threw it in the you know the giant bin. I thought, I wonder if. And I did. I had, must have had my wallet in my hand and then held the garbage and just threw everything away. <laughs> so anyways, I get to the pool and I see this lady and I'm like, I've, I've been there. The difference is at our neighborhood pool, people just throw away loose trash in a, in a giant bin. So I'm rummaging through like a juice box soaked mini muffins, trying to help the sleep fried keys. I almost started to gag because all the food, you know, he's bagging anything up. It's yeah. kind of that public space. Yeah. Um, anyways, why don't you carry a key because it's bulky? You don't like that? <laughs> but anyways, yes. <laughs> yeah, you don't like it? Yeah. I And I do it because I figure I don't want to lose all keys at once. Yeah. Like if I misplace car key, then house key. Yeah. Church keys, all that kind of stuff. I yeah. like that we've displayed our keys. My house key looks similar to two of those keys as well. So do they? Yeah. Yeah. It's also like my car keys. Like Brandy might use my car keys, and she doesn't need like my keys to work. Right. Like she only needs the car keys. So we separate church and home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Separation of church and home. I can tell you that is the most I've talked about keys in a while. <laughs> I think I might Let be good for the rest of my life. <laughs> you ever had to have a key made? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, of course. Where you go? Where do you go to get the Home Depot? Is that where you go? Home Depot. Course. Drug Mart. That's where, I, that's where I get it done. Oh, man. I didn't even think Drug Mart would do that. But they I guess, do everything. I guess they do do everything, yeah. They do everything. Yeah. I always feel bad, though, because I, whatever worker comes up to make the key, seem, it seems as if I've interrupted something very important that they were doing in the back because they always got to <laughs> call them up, and then they get there, and they're very upset. And then I feel this pressure. I'm like, I only need one key made. <laughs> I'm like, give me 10 of your best keys. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I do. Well, we're back. Uh, how was your time away, Mark? Good. Good. That's enough of that. It's <laughs> <laughs> my classic one-word answer. It's my fault for You're trying to <laughs> engage. <laughs> it was a fine time. 
He's, um, work, he's working on it. Ask more questions. Oh, oh that's right. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are we still your experiment? Still too small. Okay. Um, <laughs> so Jared was with us last uh, two weeks ago, or I guess the last podcast two weeks ago, and then Jared went on vacation. And so we weren't going to have Jared edit the podcast while he was on vacation. I didn't think that would be a kind thing to do. Yeah. So we're back to the uh, normal programming this week. Now, I don't know what episode it is. Is anybody? 57? Oh, 58? I don't know. 57? 57 or 58. It's something. Yeah, the, the men's conference was 56, and then with Jared was 57. So I think this, so is, this is 58. The men's conference was 55. Was it, was it 55? Was it? No. Because I did the Sammy Hagar. Oh, yeah. Drop. Yeah. Oh, was that at the men's conference? Yes. Okay, well, then I'm So when we came back, that was 56. So okay. The people are loving this. Keys, we don't know what number we're on. <laughs> Hold on, it's coming. So, yeah, last week was 57, Hope Action Figures. So I was right. So 58. Yes. So welcome to episode 58. Very. I've been most excited about episode 58, which I just learned about a minute ago. Again. Uh, yeah. I'm just now hearing this for the first time. Right. So I'm going to welcome people officially. Welcome to the Atrium. This is a Hope Christian Church podcast. My name is Neil. I'm the lead pastor here at Hope Christian Church, and you are. I'm Chad. I'm the student pastor here at Hope, and you are. I'm Mark. I'm the adult pastor. And this is officially episode number 58, creeping up on 60 here. So episode 58, here's what we're doing today. Uh, we've got a few questions we're going to go over. Let me go ahead and just recap the last couple of weeks, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Bob preached on the Battle of Jericho and Joshua. Out of Joshua, I think it was in Joshua 6. And then uh, this past week, we touched on Rahab and all that. One of the things that I share with the congregation on Sunday is even though Rahab seems to come after, or doesn't seem to, comes after in the list in Hebrews, it's all happening at the same time. Uh, God used Rahab uh, in a very instrumental way in the Battle of Jericho. And so this week when we talked about Rahab, one of the things that has always stood out to me about that story and I thought would probably stand out to the majority of people when it comes to that story is the fact that she's a prostitute. It's interesting the writer of Hebrews just seems to throw throw that in there. Uh, and of course, he would have known that story from it, you know, obviously being passed down and uh, access to to the text, we're assuming. And so it's like Rahab, the prostitute, just kind of like this side note. And for a lot of us, when we think of that profession, it just seems to, it's such a jarring thing to talk about. Like I've never met a prostitute before, never met, you know, a former prostitute that I can recall. It's just something that people don't talk about. Or when we do think about it, a lot of us consider it to be very filthy, very dirty, even though it's just sin. And uh, certainly it's sexual sin, but our own sexual sin is no better, no worse than that. But the story of Rahab, th that the fact that she's a prostitute seems to be the thing that, you know, a lot of people hunker down on. And you know, whether it's a, a sermon or a book, the language is always kind of like from harlot to heroine, God can take even a prostitute and clean her up and, and save her and use her. And so God, if God can do that with a prostitute, he can do that with us. And, and again, that's all, that's all true, not to magnify her sin and, and lessen ours. But when I got to this section of uh, Scripture in James, looking at James 
giving these two example examples of people whose faith and works worked together, it was an unlikely pairing for me, Abraham and, and Rahab. And I thought of all the, like Abraham made sense to me, not to again, lessen Rahab, but there, you just don't get as much about Rahab. I mean, you know, by faith, Moses should have been Abraham and Moses. Yeah. Moses. That's like, that's the thing that you, that's what yeah. it feels like, uh, but it's not, it's Abraham and then Rahab. And I yeah. thought, what is connecting these two? Certainly their faith, certainly their uh, faith and works coming together. But this part in Joshua two just kept standing out to me. Like Rahab had heard that all that God had done. And she says, our hearts melted our hearts melted in fear we were we were terrified and the example that james uses for abraham is abraham and isaac you know again you've got lots of examples of abraham and his in his faith in scripture but abraham and isaac and rahab and the spies and it kind of dawned on me just after spending time in the text and looking at it like they're, the thing that connects them is not just their faith, but it was their fear, like their fear of God. And the angel of the Lord said something very interesting to Abraham as the, after he stopped him from killing his own son. Now I know that you fear God. And I found that to be such an interesting statement. I didn't hunker down too much on that, but connecting those two together and realizing that Rahab is not just a great example of a, a woman of faith. She's a great example of a woman who fears the Lord. And then just thinking about the church in this series, persevering in the faith, not doing what culture wants us to do. Why is the church in the state that it is in a lot of ways? I think it can be tied and connected to, we just don't have fear of the Lord anymore. Like actual fear, not the the, the reverence and the awe and the respect that people I think often wrongly reduce, you know, that word fear down to. Uh, but fear, like, dread, terror, that, you know, we talked about that Greek word that Jesus uses and how we get our English word phobia from that. And really stepping back and examining my own life and going, like, do I really fear fear the Lord? And it's a hard thing to define uh, how, I shouldn't say it's a hard thing to define, but it is individually, it's a hard thing to define, like, how do I express that fear of the Lord? And the only thing I could get my head around was the idea of obedience. The difference between you know, obeying can be attributed to, you know, these two words, it seemed like to me, like love and fear. And then love can produce obedience, but only to a point. And then I just thought about being a father myself. And if God is love and God's a loving father, how can a loving father want his children to fear him? But then I thought about my relationship with Henry and how one of the things we struggle with with Henry is he has no fear no fear of us. And I don't want Henry to fear me because I need to feel like a big man or feel powerful or feel respected. I want him to fear me because I want him to be obedient to the things I ask him to do. And the reason I want him to obey the things I'm asking him to do is because what I'm asking him to do is the best thing for him. And all of a sudden it just kind of clicked, in, at least in my head, going, ah, you know, this is part of what the Lord wants for us. He wants us to be, he doesn't need to feel important. He doesn't need to feel... Um, you know, this uh, fear from us so that he feels like more of a God, like he's God, he's complete, he needs nothing from us, but he commands us to 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 fear him, and our fear should produce obedience. And so that's kind of where we landed uh, with uh, the sermon this past week and you know, that final question of, do you fear God? And check your obedience record. 
why do we disobey certain things and certain sins? Why do we watch certain things? Why do we say certain things, think certain things? What's preventing us from having our fear of the Lord produce confidence in his plan and in his promise for us? Uh, and why isn't that producing uh, obedience in us? And so just a time of kind of contemplation from from that. But it's it was an interesting thing trying to examine myself going, well, do I fear God and where I landed is not the way that I should, not the way that I should. I I, I don't feel. Yeah, sometimes the things I say to the Lord, <laughs> when like if anyone deserves to spontaneously combust, I feel like it's me sometimes because I get so indignant sometimes and just sometimes my frustration comes out in um, anger uh, towards the Lord. Uh, not to the point of losing faith, but just like, why, why this? Like, why, you know, why now? Uh, I, I don't often ask why me anymore, but more of a why now? Like, why now? We've got enough going on, and I find that I can get frustrated with the Lord sometimes. And so just stepping back for, for myself and just wanting to see more of that fear produce um, obedience, yeah. and that was the hope and the goal of this uh, this past week. But our questions today have nothing to do with that, <laughs> uh, as the podcast has continued to show us. Uh, there are lots of questions beyond uh, just what people might have on the Sunday morning, so we can start digging into these. Unless you boys have anything else to add, just it's stunning that you know, everybody would identify Rahab as a prostitute. That'd be the title. That'd be the identity yeah. for her. She's probably because um, the culture and society around her deems her that title and that identity. She probably already has that in her mind as well. Mm -hmm. And so you just wonder where her mind goes now um, in the presence of God that she's in that part of scripture Yeah, um, with all, with all these other characters by faith and it's just incredible. So, Christ, yeah. Christ changed her identity. Yeah. So what a wonderful story and the end of a story loop for her. Like, just really, really powerful. Yeah, that's all I'd add. I love, yeah, I love that comparison. I never thought of it the way, that way, like being held up against Abraham. Mm -hmm. And like Abraham is, you know, the 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 Israelite. Yeah, and, right. Well, you and, did a whole sermon on Rahab, it. And Rahab was a Gentile. Right. <laughs> like she wasn't even of you know right. god's chosen people yeah. like not only you know the the difference of uh status i guess you might say yeah um yeah. but she wasn't even an israelite right um I, I never thought of that of james intentionally using those two people for that reason to draw that that big spectrum of faith yeah um and really um i'm glad fear came up in the series fear is directly related to faith yeah um and we are kind of in this, I think, partially being in this swing of uh, friend Jesus and loving Jesus. Yeah. That the fire and brimstone of the 60s and 50s has swung too far, and we we avoid thinking of the fear of God. Um, but the faith you define as confidence in God's promises, we have to have that because of fear of God. Right. Because if God really is sovereign and God really could smite us at any point— God could really choose to to flip our switch and kill us or 
or do whatever he wants. He could do whatever he wants and, and he would be justified. And so if there really is a, a being that can do that to us, right. and we really don't have that control. We should be terrified. Right. And the only way we can, the only way you could exist, if you believe, if you really believe that the only way you can exist is by faith, because you have to believe that God, when he says he's good, that he is good. Yeah. And that he is loving and he is merciful. So if you don't have confidence in God's promises, then you either don't believe in a sovereign God or um or your fear is just not where it should be. Yeah. The other thing to me, and I stopped down there for just a minute in the sermon, was this idea of Rahab had this fear of God, her heart was melting, just based on his reputation. And it was almost like a shame on me moment because she had never that we know of seen firsthand or experienced herself God's God's power or yeah, I joked around in the service like and I don't know if it was the 90s, but it seemed like in the 90s I started hearing that phrase. It's a God thing. You know, this is a total God thing. Yeah. People would say. And I think all of us have have had a God thing, if we want to call it that. We've had those things that we would go, man, like it is so clear that God had to move. He had to do something. This, whether it's a, a healing, whether it's getting a job, whether it's a person's heart being softened to receive him, whatever it is, we go, wow. So we've seen it. We've probably experienced it in our own lives and still don't have that f- fear. It's almost like that easy believism that you talked about and that you know, push for, you know, the grace movement, the heavy grace movement has eliminated the need <laughs> in, our, in many of our minds for for fear yeah. of God. And in my studies, because even when I was communicating that I wanted Henry to fear me, I, I did research. I'm like, what do psychologists say uh, about, you know, child psychologists say about kids fearing their parents? And everything out there is like kids should never fear their parents. And, and I'm like, but I, and, and maybe in fears, you know, we can get a semantics war with the word fear and, and, you know, is being scared and having fear, being afraid are, are are these all the same? And because they're synonyms in our language and we never would never want our kids to be cowering in a corner hiding from us because we get home and I've heard stories about, Oh man, when I heard dad would come home, I would just get, even though the kid had done nothing wrong, it was like dad or mom would just explode. And that's why I said, you know, try to stay with me here, but God doesn't want us to be scared of him. We're to boldly, we can go boldly go before him. He is a loving father, but there still needs to be that, that fear. And that's the type of fear I was talking about with Henry. Like I didn't want Henry to, to be terrified when dad comes home and I don't want him to be hiding and afraid to talk to me. And, I don't want a relationship that's built solely on fear, but I I do want that that fear. And so I'm studying like these papers written by psychologists, and in even in in our language today, not just in the church, but it's this idea of you want to get down, you know, on your kids' level, and you want to talk to them, and and I think that that's all all good, but it's in my mind even swung too far in in that direction, yeah, because. Henry will say sometimes, what did I say the other day? Oh, I think I think I said, oh gosh. And and Henry was like, Don't say that. You know, that's a that's a bad word. I said, Oh, 
you know, gosh, isn't a bad word. I go, I think I go that that word's related to God and we shouldn't take and, you know, explain it all to him. And I was like, you know, I'll try not to say that because we've asked him not to say it. But at the same time, you know, I know my intent when I say that word. I'm not saying that as a replacement for God. It's just as a kid, that's just what you say. And it's just become a part of the language. I thought, you know what? I'm, but I'm a grown up. Like I can do things differently than my son can do them. And I can ask him to do things, uh, for, for certain, re- I can ask him to go to bed at seven 30 and I can stay up till 10 30 because that's the best thing for him. And so it, it's, it's a balance. And so I really tried to, you know, compare, you know, my parenting and then go to what is the world saying? What is scripture saying? Has some of that bled into the to the church, this lack of the fear of the Lord. And and I think it has. And I think, again, even in my own life, like stepping back and taking a look at it, going, I probably wouldn't do things. <laughs> there's no way I would do things this the exact same way that I'm doing them now if I really, like you said, if I really lived my life with being 100% sold out, that there is this God who can just absolutely destroy, destroy me and if he chose to and he has that power, like I believe all of those things. Yeah. Um, but to believe it to the point of it, you know, changing into action, that's yeah. something. It would lead to obedience. It would lead to obedience. It would, it would lead yeah. to that more consistent o- obedience. Um, yeah. I re- uh, A couple things. One, I at the last men's breakfast, I used a quote on fear and particularly with dads in the household. And mm-hmm. it's a quote it, I loved. It was so good from a book. Um, Oh, what's his name? Michael something. Anyway, uh, the book's called It's Good to Be a Man. And he talked about fear in, in, in the house and parenting. And he said, your, your family, your kids should fear you, not for their own safety. And I'm paraphrasing. And yeah. I'm just trying to get the idea across. But they shouldn't fear you for their own safety. They should fear you for what, for the threat that you are to the sin in the household. Mm. So you're, you're so committed to the holiness of your family and you understand that the that sin in the house will bring death to the family and disruption and chaos and disorder that you are the protector of that family. And you're going to go after that sin to the point that they understand if you bring sin into this house, you're going to, you're going to deal with dad. You're going to deal with, that's good with the father. Cause not that they're, and, and it's kind of the similar to, to God, the father, we, our kids need to understand that we are good and we are loving and, and we're not, they can trust in our promises when we say we're good to them, we're going to be good to them, we're going to love them, and we're not going to harm them. But if they bring sin into the camp, then it becomes a matter of life and death. Table flipping Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Protecting and, the house. Yeah. And and that and that that should be to the point of fear. Yeah. That they that you care that much about their holiness. Mm. And that goes along with things like saying things like gosh. And I think about that, you know, when you say a lot of people don't realize gosh is related to God. Right. It, it was, it's a substitute for a substitute, right. which doesn't make it any better. Right. And, um, you know, and when we say it and we, we say it and you say, well, I, you know, we're not, our intent's not there. Right. But that's the definition of vanity. You know, right. that's, that's a vain word. Yeah. Um, and you know, people would claim legalism at that point, but, um, gosh, Mark, you're such a legalist. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah. Yeah, it's hard because some of this stuff just feels like reflex, you know, like, yeah. and I try well, to say is. around Henry, you know, oh goodness. But how many times, I mean, my kids call me out on stuff all the time. <laughs> gosh, being, you know, those kind of, yeah. like, 
I try to teach them about idle words and then right. I'll use one. Oh, right. <laughs> like, no. oh, you're right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or I'll hear them do something and I, I'll want to correct it. But then I think about it like they're doing that because they learned that from me. Right. <laughs> like yeah. they'll say something or, or respond in a certain way. And then I, I see myself in it and I'm like, I, I taught them that through my behavior. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. And, and you know, I want to clarify, like, I'm not suggesting that parents hold their, you know, we're all held to the standard of God's word. And, and so when it comes to, you know, coarse speech and inappropriate speech, talking thoughts, all that kind of stuff, I would never say, well, I'm the parent, so I don't have to do that. But there is oh, some, yeah, yeah, there yeah. is some yeah, yeah. separation, you know, for what I can do and from what Henry can do. Oh, yeah. and, and wanting to strike that balance sometimes can be, can be challenging for sure. Mm-hmm. So, well, let's dig into these questions. We've got some, uh, three questions they were going to try to get to, if we can. We'll start off with this first one. It says, hello, pastors. In previous sermons and podcasts, I've heard you all say in so many words that you do not believe that a person can wake up and choose a habitual sin every single day for their lives and truly be a child of God, to which I agree. I think this is glaringly obvious for things like sexual sins. I think that you can only run from sin for so long before you are convicted enough to start the repentance process. Where do you stand on this idea when it comes to female pastors? I agree with Hope's stance on women in pastoral roles and have had a hard time believing that a woman could study and teach the Word of God and have the Holy Spirit in her and lead a congregation as a pastor for an entire career wouldn't they come to realize they are sinning? It is not a top-tier issue, but I also think it's a huge part of Scripture as a whole. It's not my place to try and determine every single person's depth of faith and true salvation. However, I would think that someone who is saved would have to come to the realization that they are sinning and repenting. What do you think? Thank you for all you do. This is a very heavy question. Yeah, this is was such a good question. Yeah, very well thought out. Um, and... So let's just dig into this, and I'm going to take this. The listener wrote in in three chunks, so we'll take this in three chunks. And the first chunk is in previous sermons and podcasts. I've heard you all say in so many words that you do not believe that a person can wake up and choose habitual sin uh, every single day for their lives and truly be a child of God, to which I agree. So what that uh, what this listener is referring to is when we reference First uh, John 3, 4, and I will turn there now and read it. We've talked about this uh, not not too long ago. Let's see here. First John 3 uh, says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, and he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So many times, well, you know, I'll just keep going. Uh, Since the beginning, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. There it is again. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one 
who does not love his brother. So many, many, many times John references this idea of practice of sinning, keeps on sinning, practice of sinning, keep on sinning. And in sermons that I've done, what I've addressed is that for the majority of us, what we want to do is kind of reverse engineer or define, well, what is, what is a practice of sinning? How many, how many times we want to reduce it to a number? Do I get 10 lusts a week? Do I get 10 jealousies a week or 10 enmities a week? How, what's my quota? How do I reach that? And I've broken that apart in, in sermons before, and you can't, we can't reduce it to a, a number. What, I think John is referring here to more is making peace with a particular sin. And what this listener is asking is if you've got, and this is the second stanza here, where do you stand in the idea when it comes to female pastors? Uh, It says, I agree with Hope's stance on women in pastoral roles, and I have a hard time believing that a woman could study and teach the Word of God and have the Holy Spirit in her heart and lead a congregation as a pastor for an entire career. So let me jump over to 1 Timothy chapter 2, because that's what this uh, listener is referring to. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, Paul writes to Timothy as he's giving him this young leader instruction. He says, let a woman, verse 11, excuse me, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became the transgressor. So we talked about this, particularly in that series called Dinner Rolls years ago, where we talked about the role of men and women in the church. And Hope's stance uh, is that, based on this text and several other qualifications for elders in Timothy and Titus that we see, that women are equal in value in the church, but they're different in function, and that the function or the role of an elder is reserved for a man. People would say, oh, that's a cultural command, but the genius of what God has Paul do here is he establishes the reason why. He says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, rather she's to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Eve was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. Uh, And was deceived and became a transgressor. So what Paul does is he throws all the way back to creation and says it's been this way since the beginning of time. It's going to remain this way for the rest of time because of Adam and Eve. And we would say, well, you know, I don't agree with that. And I think these were cultural commands, but the fact that he threw all the way back to the origin of man or men and women, and Adam and Eve, uh, Adam being the first man, Eve being the first woman, he establishes this this boundary. And for some reason, uh, well, not for some, this is part of, I think, culture bleeding into the church. What we're seeing more and more are women going into elder positions in, in the church, uh, being, being pastors in the church. And we believe at Hope, and we've got a position paper on it. You're welcome to email me, any of the listeners or, or viewers, if you'd like to take a, a listen to that. It just takes this and expands it a little bit more. But we believe that that role is reserved for the right of a man. Equal in value, though, and just different in function. And no one function being more important than the other. I think what has happened is that part of how culture is blended into the church is, is we think, oh, pastor is CEO. CEO is most powerful, most important. Therefore, 
you know, it is the pinnacle of being in ministry, which I couldn't disagree with more. My grandfather, who my son is, uh, you know, bears his his name. Grandfather was Russell Henry. And my son is Henry Russell. Uh, never worked at a church a day in his life. Just volunteered and served. He did missions work. He built churches over in Haiti. This guy had an incredible impact on the kingdom and never stood behind a pulpit and preached, never ran uh, a staff, never you know, had to run a budget of a church, any of those types of things. But for some reason, we attach a different value to to a pastor, to a lead pastor, and go, that's that's the pinnacle in the church. That's the, the top job in the church. And as somebody who has that job, let me tell you, it's not. It's not. I mean, it is different, certainly, than when I was leading worship. It's different tasks, different responsibilities. But at the end of the day, it's just serving in a different a different way. And what people have done, what culture has done is we've bought into this idea and pastors have bought into it as well and fed a a lot of that misinformation and misunderstanding of of what it is. But at Hope, we believe that the role of pastor is reserved for a man. And that's what this listener is referring to. They end uh, saying, you know, that they wonder how a woman could be a pastor because that that violates she believes that violates scripture we would believe that violates scripture so that is that is a practice of sinning so wouldn't they come to realize they are sinning uh, it's not a top tier issue but i also think it's a huge part of scripture as a whole wouldn't they come to realize they are sinning and the answer this is where i start to bow out a, a little bit um and the reason is is because of what you know, Jeremiah, the Lord says to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17, like the heart is deceptively wicked. It's it's deceitful. We don't know. And part of what I'm being, you know, we're being asked to do perhaps is, is identify what's going on in a person's heart when they come to realize they are saying that would be, that would be the hope. It's not my place to determine every person's depth of faith and true salvation as it's not ours either. I, I don't believe that, um, and again, you know, he addresses this, we just read it in, in Timothy, um, or where, you know, we can identify, you know, good fruit, bad fruit. We can look at what people are producing and go, yeah, this is good. This is bad. But I don't know if you've got a woman who's going to be a pastor for 30 years and then on her deathbed, <laughs> you know, maybe it'll, maybe it'll hit her and she can make that con- conversion. Uh, all I know is that if you make a practice of, of sinning and there is no repentance of that sin, then that's a pretty strong indication that the Holy Spirit of God is not at work in you. And I think that's really what it boils down to is repentance. Uh, we believe that, you know, being uh, a woman and being that position of elder violates scripture and if a person doesn't repent of their sins and has no desire of repentance has accepted a sin then yeah it's possible that they may not have the holy spirit but at the same time they may just be wrestling the spirit could be in them they could make a decision 10 years down the road they could do it on their deathbed um i think about you know sin in my life like i'm not absolved from sin i've been very open and honest with my struggles in the areas of pride and lust. I continue to fight those things. I'm not doing them regularly. It's it's difficult to 
um, at least for me, to answer this question when they come to realize they are sinning. That's up That's up to the Lord. Like The only reason I've realized that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior is because the Holy Spirit has done that work in me. And I'm thankful he's done that work in me, and I continue to do that work. The hope and prayer would be that somebody that's in a leadership position, that's a woman that uh, is, is violating what we believe the Scriptures are clear on here, that the Holy Spirit would convict them as well. In fact, I've met former female elders, uh, former female pastors that have—I've met two, not a lot, but I've met two in my life that came to that realization and stepped down from the elder board and stepped out of the pulpit. And so it it can happen, certainly, but God has to do that work. There needs to be there needs to be repentance, no matter what the sin is, no matter what the sin is. Um, it's not my place to try to determine every single person's depth of faith and true salvation. I agree with that. However, I would think that someone who is saved would have to come to the realization that they are sinning and, and repent. Again, if God has chosen them, then then they will. And if God has not chosen them, then he won't. Um, then they won't. And, and what do you think? Thank you for all you do. This is this is what I think. I think it again. Um, it's a difficult thing to determine how and when a person comes to repentance. What I feel like this person is asking me is if we see a female pastor, uh, lead pastor in a, in a pulpit exercising authority over a man, is that person truly saved? That's how I'm kind of reading this question a little bit. Yeah. And the answer is. I don't. I don't know. I th- I think that that's only for God to know. Uh, what I can say is that we can be a fruit identifiers. That that is not good fruit. It's no different than, um, you know, a, a, any person violating any scripture and doing it regularly is not is not good fruit. And good fruit is on good trees. Bad fruit comes from bad trees. But we treat that person uh, with grace and humility and compassion, and we try to evangelize that person. But whether or not they are truly saved, I, it's not for me to say, it's not for me to determine. But again, I think if you make any practice of sinning, the scripture is clear that you can't be, you, you can't be um, within the household of faith. So I know it's like, well, he's not really saying anything, but he is saying something. I'm saying ultimately the decision is the Lord's, certainly. Yeah. Um, but scripture comes becomes pretty clear on, on this. So this is a difficult topic, and again, a really well thought out, question, and I don't know if I did the best job answering it because it's a little bit ambivalent for me, but again, just to summarize, God determines who's in, who's out. Uh, Wouldn't they come to realize they're sinning? That would be the hope, but for any of us, if we don't repent of our sin, if we make a practice of sinning, then we can't be of the Lord. That's what the scriptures teach, Uh, but again, we don't know if somebody can make that decision while they're hanging on a cross. Remember me in your kingdom today, and so it's not for us to judge. Instead, the right thing for us to do is not to submit to that type of leadership. In other words, if there is a woman in a lead pastor position, you don't submit to their spiritual authority because the bigger issue here, and she, and she's, uh, I don't know if this is a she or he actually, when they come to realize they are sinning, it's not a top tier issue. I don't know. <laughs> it's pretty top tier to me because now you start getting into false false teachers. If you, if you have the wrong person teaching and yeah. they don't have the right understanding as to who God wants to, to have those positions, then then what else could they be twisting or, or leaving yeah. out of Scripture? And so to me, it is a top-tier issue because you're putting yourself— you're, when you 
go to a church when you're, uh, you know, uh, attending a church regularly, we place membership at a church, you're placing yourself under the spiritual authority of the leaders and elders in that church. And if you have a church that affirms women uh, in lead pastor or elder type of roles, then you're, you're putting yourself under the leadership of a church that is disregarding what the scriptures teach and it becomes a very slippery slope from from there. So it's not up to us to determine whether or not that person is going to hell or not going to hell. It's bad fruit. It's violating God's word. So you treat them to me as a pagan or tax collector. You try to evangelize them. You try to get them the truth of what God's word teaches, but you certainly don't submit to their authority and you don't put yourself under their authority. Yeah. So that's to summarize um, all that shucking and jiving I was doing earlier. Yeah, I think they're saying it's not a top-tier issue. Like, it's not an sal- essential. It's not the salvation by grace well, works issue. But I, I hear what you're saying. I'm but at the same time, they're, they're right. They're asking, like, it, it is salvific. Yeah. It, it is, because if they make a practice of sinning and they, and they never repent of that, I think that's what this listener is wondering, is it's not a top-tier issue. It's not an essential. Yeah. But church structure yeah. is kind of an essential. It's not in our yeah. list of essentials in, in our what we believe or faith section, but at the end of the day, it's certainly essential when it comes to choosing a church or submitting to, to church leadership, I think. Yeah, which makes me interested. Like, if you could talk more about the two women you met, who held a pastor elder office, and then they said they realized that scripture taught differently, and so they stepped away. I'd like to know, you know, what you got more from them, if you remember. Well, I didn't have deep, like, deep conversations yeah, how with they them. Came to that uh, decision. One person I met years ago, before I was at Hope, <clears throat> I was still attending uh, another church as a young man, and. I got introduced. I was a playing guitar. You're um, in your prime now. <laughs> that's right. Yes, I'm in my prime. <laughs> um, so I would have been, I don't know, probably 20, okay. 21, um, getting ready to work at this uh, small church as a worship leader. And so I had done this uh, cantata at uh, Open Door and played guitar for this giant cantata they did. And they gave me this huge, long, shreddy type of section. And it we did it for five days and you know, people appreciated it. They liked it. And so I met this um, husband and wife, he was a guitar player and just got to talk to them a a little bit. And they were asking me like, you know, what my track was, you know, am I going into ministry? And then she had shared that she she was in ministry and that she was a, she was a pastor. And, uh, I, and she said, but I'm not anymore. And I was like, Oh, what happened? She goes, well, and I don't remember this is not verbatim, but it was just something along the lines of, well, we realize that's not really what the Bible teaches, that that, that role is not uh, for uh, a woman, that role is reserved for a man. Mm. Um, that was a brief interaction. The most recent one was there was an individual that came here from another church. They're no longer here. They stopped in here for maybe, I think you would have known you know, who this was. And um, we can talk off air about it. Um, but they were here for maybe three or four months. But... Uh, husband and wife and must have been maybe certainly older <clears throat> and was at this church for 15 years I think serving on their uh, elder board and just it just hit her that that was not what the Lord had for her and then what she did is she expanded she chose to expand on how um, after doing that for so many years she realized that her personally as a woman and her belief is, is that, uh, that part of the reason that the role 
is reserved for men, and this is her view, this is her words, <laughs> these are not my words, right. is that um, for, her, for her and for the other women that she knew, she didn't feel like they were equipped to do that role. And for her, it was more based on the pressure that she felt. She felt that she had a hard time making a decision because she was really high empathy and the other women were uh, high empathy and there were some hard decisions that needed to be made where you had to separate the relationship that they had with the individuals that needed to be moved. And she said she had a hard time separating that and that the men seemed to do a better job of separating the rule from the relationship and again, those are her words, not mine. I'm not saying women aren't capable of <laughs> making yeah, hard decisions. All, all women and men are different anyway. Yeah, but, absolutely. But in, her case, in her case, that's, that's what she that's what she had that's what she had shared. And it kind of dawned on her during this tumultuous time. Yeah. She said, I didn't I didn't feel I was equipped for that. And then it, for her, a light bulb went off that God has just designed men um differently and they seem to do better in those types of leadership roles. And again, you know, what Paul does is he throws back to the order of creation yeah. and who, who ate the fruit first. Um, but yeah, that was, so the first interaction was very brief and, and the other one was maybe three, two, three conversations in passing in the atrium. Yeah. I asked because maybe perhaps I assumed that these two, um, or at least one of the cases, maybe they felt they had a leadership gift. They identified a leadership gift and a teaching gift, which... I would add that God does not like reserve that only for men, mm. <laughs> right? Mm -mm. I think we should add that for the listeners. Um, this isn't talking about women in ministry either. Mm -mm. Women can be in ministry. It's women directing the affairs of the church right. at the highest level it's of authority the in the church. It's the office of pastor, elder you're talking about. That's it. I just want to keep reiterating yeah. that. Um, yeah. And that can be confused. Um, and I think that I've seen that happen a lot where there's definitely a woman who's been gifted in leadership or, or teaching um, and that role is just different than what Paul's talking about in First Timothy 2 there. Um, and yeah, let's Paul's even, talking about spiritual authority. Let's even talk about that. This is a pastoral epistle. Well, how do, you, how do you get there? Because he says, I don't permit a woman to teach. How do you get there that you just that, said a woman? That's what I'm talking could, about. This well, is, let's get there for the, for the listeners, because it's a face value. It says, I don't permit a woman to teach. Yeah. And you just said a woman can teach. Absolutely. I agree with you, but let's let's... Yeah, so let's think about it. It's a, this is a pastoral it. epistle. Mm -hmm. So Timothy has a completely different listening ear to Paul right now than anybody that's there at the church. He's talking about um, how Timothy is to direct the affairs of the church as this pastor elder in this office over this church in Ephesus. Um, so Timothy you know, knows Paul's writing style. He knows his tone. He's like his best friend. He's going to know exactly what Paul's talking about here and, and what he's meaning here. So yes, he says that, but it, this is in the context of the church gathering and directing the affairs of the church, like I just said. Um, so a woman would, he talks about not assuming um, in the wrong way, assuming the position of pastor elder over a man. That office is held for a man. And then he throws that to Genesis 2, like Neil said. Now, that's not because Adam was created first, but it tells us about the created order of man and woman. The woman is the helper in that story. Um, so she doesn't have the same role as Adam in that story, right? Um, Adam was supposed to 
protect and oversee and not allow Eve to be deceived. So marriage is what he throws to while he's talking about um, church order over in 1 Timothy chapter yeah. 2. Kind of like what we were talking about earlier with the, the fear of God. Mm-hmm. Adam was to protect the holiness of Eden, and he failed. Yeah, yeah Genesis 2 says that Eve was deceived. Eve was um, lied to and deceived by the enemy, but Adam says that she turned and handed the fruit to Adam, which means he's standing right there. So instead of saying, no, we're not going to do that, and overseeing, he took. So he sinned with his eyes wide open. So Mark is, um, in a couple weeks here, going to be doing a sermon series on Genesis 1 through 3. Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Everything (laughs) points back to Genesis 1 through 3, and that's what Paul's doing in 1 Timothy 2. He's just pointing us back again, um, especially in this church context, which what's the church? This is the representation of, of Christ and his bride. And so we're supposed to be representing Christ and his bride in the church order. So that's all he's doing. Yeah. The man is the pastor elder, as Adam was supposed to be, failed. Um, yeah. It doesn't even say ever again in Scripture that Eve was the one who sinned first. It's always on Adam. Jesus had to be the second Adam. <laughs> yeah, sin entered the, the <laughs> yeah. world through one man. Through one man, yeah. right? So yeah. th- this is all like, <laughs> this is all capit- recapitulation back to Genesis 1 through 3. And God restoring everything in his church right now. Yeah. And so Timothy knows exactly what Paul's talking about. We, we might not. Um, and so all it's saying there, anyway, going back, is women are not to assume authority over the man. Um, that doesn't mean that, like, every woman in the church is submitting to every single individual man in the church either. It's the men hold—a man holds position of pastor, elder, to— um, I guess I'll use the word, word restore, um, kind of practice that restoration practice um, of Genesis 2. Of the natural order. The natural order. Yeah. yeah. And so women could teach, but they could teach the younger women. Um, they can be in ministry in all sorts of other ways. They just, and even I would say, and I think you're okay with this too, like women could teach and speak up front, but they're not holding the office of pastor elder. Like yeah. for instance, Connect Conference 2019 was the first conference, youth conference we did here. And I talked with Neil about it. I had uh, a woman who was going to be um, a great speaker on a certain topic, and I felt like she needed to speak about, um, I won't go all into it, but this specific topic. I was the pastor of conference and mm-hmm. still held the office, um, but I had her come and speak, and I got to have her, just as you would, as Timothy would know, be under that authority. I mean, Paul even is the one who sends Phoebe under his authority to interpret Romans to the house churches that we're, we're also going to be going yeah, to. It's Spoiler a del- alert, all the sermon <laughs> series. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and that's that's part of, and I think, when people read this on the front, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over man. Who was teaching in the church then? There, you know, it was only it was men and the people that were teaching in in the church. And remember, Paul is instructing Timothy how to church structure. Here's how you set up this church in Ephesus. So they're really talking about like appointing elders and, and what what are the qualifications? And we see the qualifications yeah. literally in the next chapter. He mm-hmm. does all of that. And and then he says, this is a trustworthy thing, saying, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, desires a noble task, therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. 
so he's continuing on a lot of what you, you see in you know these first, particularly two and three uh, chapters in Timothy is Paul saying, "Hey, listen, as we put this church, here's the blueprint for the yeah. church." And we have to remember what Ephesus was. It was it was like a feminist town. <laughs> like they they had female gods that they worshipped, and so it was. It's possible that Paul was addressing a specific situation where women were in the church being disruptive, trying to overtake because it was a very uh, uh, pro-empowerment type of, um, you know, pro-female empowerment type of, uh, of city. So it's possible he was addressing a certain situation, but permitted to teach or exercise authority over a man. I don't know if those are as separate as we think they are. I think permitted to teach or exercise authority, teach over men and exercise authority over men because there was ex- authority being exercised beyond and think about it now like we teach people on a sunday morning uh, certainly but people will come to us and that's what a lot of this podcast is you even addressed it you know a few weeks back where uh, the pressure that we feel because the podcast people a lot of times are just asking our advice on on things it's and so we're teaching them but part of it is from scripture but part of it's just you know especially a lot of the parenting stuff like how do you how do you uh, you know not explode at a kid that just is defiant all the time and it's like okay well that's in scripture kind of you know because you got to be patient and peaceful and all that kind of stuff yeah. um, so we're teaching people but but we're more exercising some type of authority over them. And so the whole thing is kind of, and the better translation might be to teach people or to be a teacher. And there's a difference between teaching somebody and being a teacher. And and this is where the, the, the text sometimes can get a little convoluted because that might be the better way to understand the, the Greek there is, I do not permit a woman to be a teacher. In other words, this is an ongoing thing, a regular exercising authority over a man, an ongoing thing. So what he's saying is they can't be an elder, and then you see that in the very next Yeah, it's the all very one next chapter. It's, going into chapter right. three. I, I'm telling them not to assume authority over this person in chapter yeah. three. Right. And what's the what's the distinction between elders and deacons? The distinction yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. What, oh the yeah. ability to teach. The ability to teach. Yeah. That's right. the distinction. Yeah. Well, yeah. and uh, you know, the elders that direct the affairs of the church are worthy of honor, especially those that teach. They're right, worthy but, of double but the, right. the distinction that uh, that elders have and over elders, deacons, yeah, that's that's a continuation of the same thought. They're the ones that are teachers. Well, even even among the elders, you know, and what that tells us is that there are teaching elders and there are some non-teaching elders. All elders need the ability to teach, but not all everybody's going to be a teacher doing it on a regular basis. You know, think about Zach. What was his profession before he came here? He was a teacher. That was his job what he did all the time um but but teaching somebody and then being their teacher are are two different things and i think that's part of the distinction where it might be better understood he's saying i do not permit a woman to be a teacher or to exercise authority over man indicating it's an ongoing and yeah and the distinction being overseer overseer i just want to reiterate that that's what adam's role was he failed god's giving the opportunity in the act of the church the representation of the church for us to restore that failure in Christ now. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Mark, you got any more thoughts on this? No. (laughs) (laughs) And and your vacation once again was... No, we got time. If we only get to this one, I'm good with that. This is a big one. It is a big one. And this is part of what I'm talking about in the the By Faith Sermon series. This is culture bleeding into the church. 
Well, that's 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 something we have to consider. Like the whole idea of female pastors is only about 150 years old. So it, then, it was never even heard. So then, <laughs> right? And like 150 years ago, there was one, and I think it was the Methodist denomination is where it started. <laughs> so then you have to you have to wrestle with that. Why was there 2,000 years of church history? Right. And did they get it wrong for 2,000 years? And were they in sin because they were forbidding it? Because if it's if it is allowed and churches were forbidding it, then they were in sin. Absolutely. Um. Uh, uh, actually, I have lots of things to say. <laughs> yeah, do it. You say stuff. Yeah. I mean, going back to the question, though, um, you know, she's kind of like, it made me think of sanctification. You live your life, you live a life of sanctification. You're hopefully becoming more like Jesus every day. And that's true of all of us. Yeah. And um, that's that highlights the, the importance of faithful exposition of the word, because culture does bleed into our thoughts. We live in a context. We live among neighbors that are going to say certain things and make us feel certain ways because we want to be accepted. We want to be liked. Our sin nature is codependent, and we want to have the approval of men over the approval of God. Mm -hmm. That seeps in everywhere. So we are at risk of becoming like the world, which is why First John has to say, don't be friends with the world. Right. Um, and I'll come back to First John in a minute. But um, all of us are going through sanctification. That's why Jesus prays, sanctify them in the truth. Mm -hmm. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. So everything comes from the word of God, mm -hmm. not our experience, not our feelings, because we feel like we're gifted or we feel like, well, this woman is such a good teacher. She would be such, she, she should be in this role. Mm -hmm. It's not based on that. It's not based on any person's experience. It's based on faithful exposition of the word. Right. And an honest, faithful, I think an honest, faithful exposition of Timothy as a whole, it is a pastoral epistle. It's addressing the topic of church structure. Yeah. Uh, it, it's pretty clear. Yeah. You got to do some gymnastics to get around it. And then when you're doing those gymnastics, you have to ask, who are you trying to appease? Right. I'm trying, well, I want to, I want things to mesh more into our current climate, our current culture. Yeah. Um, well, in the past 150 years, I would say that, that that's when people started confusing preaching and the gift of leadership and preaching and teaching with the pastoral. It was role. right off of the heels of German higher criticism. Yeah. Every, everything in the scripture started getting questioned. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, scripture says John wrote the book of John. Well, did he really? Right. And every, and from there, everything else is questioned. And so we can look at a verse and say, I don't permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man and say, no, that actually means the exact opposite of what he, of what he was saying. Right. Um, and, and so that's why it's, it comes down to the word and the faithful exposition of the word, because this won't change. Culture will change. Our feelings will change. Our neighbor's opinion will change. Everything will change. Giftings will change. Talents will change. Abilities will change within a person. Mm -hmm. We're sanctified ultimately by the, the, the word of God. And it comes back to our own digestion of it and our own prayerful conviction from the Word of God. And it made me also think of the what's called respectable sins. Jerry Bridges wrote a book on this. Mm. Um, sins that we read in Scripture and we kind of, you know, fluff off. It's not that big a deal. Right. I don't know. This female pastors isn't wouldn't be considered one of them, but it made me think of that because like things like laziness. Yeah. You know, we, we joke about it. It's like, yeah, it's not that big a deal. Stress. Stress, anxiety are Worry. one of them. Right. Uh, gluttony. Yeah. You know, we, we, the same person who gets 
hyper legalistic about alcohol is, is, is the same person that's, you know, pounding pizzas every night. Yeah. Um, but these, this respectable, and it's not to call anyone out or make anyone feel judged or guilty, but we're all in this process of sanctification. I feel like the pizza comment was personal. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Same. <laughs> yeah. You've deeply offended us. This is a nerve Master Park. <laughs> but, uh, but nobody's perfect. Right. The, uh, the problem is though, when it comes to something like female pastors, you are shepherding the body of Christ and you are put at a distinction that's separate from the rest of the flock. You're called to a, a, a sacred duty. Right. And it's not to elevate it like you're saying. It's not that it's the best job. You're the lead servant. Right. You're the you should be the most humble. You should be it's I am. And well no. <laughs> I mean see what I did there. Writing a book on it. <laughs> see what I did there. <laughs> it's called humble me. <laughs> Because this is the this is the body of Christ we're talking about, uh, and he says, "Sanctify them, us, in the truth. Your word is truth, and now that is what we are sanctified through. And none of us are perfect, um, but when you see a church with a female pastor, you get an impression immediately of their view of Scripture. Yeah, you you get a, you understand their understanding to some degree of Scripture. Every and I'm. <laughs> I won't, I'm not saying female pastors are false teachers, but every New Testament book warns us against false teachers. Um, every single one, except, I think it's except Philemon. There's one book that doesn't. But of the 27 books in the New Testament, 26 of them specifically tell us to watch out for false teachers, to mm-hmm. be aware of them, because they're there to lead us astray. And when you see, and and well, you can say something, go ahead. Because I'm going to go somewhere else too. <laughs> well, the thing I was going to say is, you know, Hebrews 13, 17. This is a, a section of scripture that pastors use all the time to try to get their church in line, right? Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know why he's chomping at the bit for this job. <laughs> like, James, not all should presume not to be all teachers. Not all should be, right, because you know, you're going to be judged more harshly. And and again, we've talked about that on the podcast in the past, that that's, God isn't going to judge us more harshly. But you're, you're under more criticism from the world. Like, I run into people, I shouldn't say all the time, it, it, it happened not not a, but within the last couple of weeks, people that leave the church because of something that I said, and it got weird, and then you got to run into them in public, and it's just, and I'm a person, like they're people, like it gets weird, it gets awkward, people say hurtful things. I mean, there's there's pressure to, to the role, like there isn't any job, but with this one. Like when you're an accountant, you're keeping watch over people's money. <laughs> like when you're a pastor, you're keeping watch over their soul. There's yeah. eternal implications for yeah. this. And this is not to elevate the job. This is just saying, I don't know why there's this giant push for this anyways. It's yeah. not what people think it it is. And I've talked about it on the podcast before. It's not. There there is a cost to it that that is very expensive and it's not floating around just reading the bible all the time and then all of a sudden god texts me and he's like hey i want to tell you something about rahab <laughs> you know you gotta sit there and stare at james 2 for like three days and go oh okay like i mean it's like any other job that is difficult that has its issues um and people have their their opinions but i mean you're giving an account for 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 people's 
souls, there's a heavier responsibility to that. And and like you said, you're the lead servant. It's not like lead pastors or elders are, you know, on the head of the body. The head of the body is Christ. Like we're supposed to be the souls of the feet. Like we're to carry, we're to carry the people and get the calluses and step on the hard stuff and, and endure that stuff to help edify, uh, you know, the body and, and bring God the glory that he deserves. You said you had more thoughts on this? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, I want to... We're all just going to keep going for a while. <laughs> That's well, all talk, right. We talk about this a lot. This comes up a lot. It does. Uh, this is a very current issue. Yeah. It's worse than it's ever been in, in church history as yeah. far as females being put in the role of elder. And to, just to clarify, elder, overseer, bishop, pastor are all interchangeable words in the New Testament. That's one office. Yeah. Um, and so... We need to remember, though, it's not like that's not the only issue here when we're considering elders. Yeah, there's a whole list. It continues in chapter three, right, of the character of what an elder should be, and all of those need to be met. All of those should be met. It's not just stick a man in the position. And we also see, and I think this is partially a result why the church has turned to women because we have seen men fail. Men, men have been failing. Since Genesis one, yeah, or Genesis three, Adam failed in the garden, and that's yeah. that's how it's yeah, been. Yeah, the ever first since. guy blew it. <laughs> he blew it. And I but, don't. I don't think the you know twentieth trillion guy is going to nail it. <laughs> yeah, and however many people have existed, and, and it's not, it's not just that it needs to be a man in that position. It needs to be a man of character. Yeah, and we see so many people, so many of these elders and pastors falling, and really disqualifying themselves from eldership and then getting put back in that same position yeah, or going somewhere else and becoming a, you know, starting their own thing and becoming, and that's, that's, I think, destructive to the body of Christ because it's not following the, the model that's being set down here in first Timothy. This is, this is our, this is our, Design this is not our design. This is God's design for us. This right. is what He's setting down for His church to look like in, in this on this earth. Um. So this was this was a tough question. This was a good question. <laughs> yeah, that's um, a good point you bring up because people will say, "Okay, so they'll argue." Okay, so you're saying that only a man could have, hold that office because they're genitalia. That's like I've gotten emails big, to that to it, that end. I'm sure you have. Yes, very descriptive. <laughs> it's all over social media. It's, yeah. it's a very hot current debate right now, and and literally, you just go to First Timothy three. It's not just a man; it's a man of character, and there's yeah. there's weight to this. Go to James. Go to Hebrews. Right there. Yeah. There's weight to this. So and so when the lady Neil's talking to says, "Well, I think men and women are designed differently," mm-hmm. Neil, like it felt awkward when you started talking about that. <laughs> like, yeah, but that's a cultural reaction, right? Yeah. Cause I think men and women are designed differently. Yeah. They were created differently for God's glory. And where do we, what kind of culture do we live in? We live in a culture trying to obliterate that, mm-hmm. right? Trying to say there is no difference between male and female. Yeah. There's, there's no difference at all. It's all, it's all made up. We made it up. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a construct because if it goes, if it comes down to it, if there is no difference, between male and female, ultimately, then it is an arbitrary decision God made and said, okay, only men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or he designed man for a purpose to be in a specific role, and he designed women to be a spe- for a specific purpose and to be in a specific role as well. Yeah. 
And I just want to maybe just bookend this, put a bow tie on this, <laughs> to quote. Uh, <laughs> put dear, a bow tie on it. Dear friend here. Um, this has nothing to do with a woman's value. You know, one of the things when I was looking at Rahab, like women were unbelievably undervalued in that culture. And a woman like Rahab would have just been useless except for one purpose as a prostitute. Like she would have had no, no value um, in those, in those days. And that is not, we're not saying that women aren't valuable. God's not saying that women aren't valuable because if we say that women aren't valuable because they can't do a certain job, your identity doesn't come from what you do. It comes from who you are, period. Uh, this is what gets people in problem. Uh, it gets people in trouble and causes people problems is that their identity becomes what they do. Inevitably in life, though, whatever you do will eventually end. I don't care what it is. You will eventually end your career. Uh, you know, you, your marriage will inevitably end. Someone's going to die before the other person, likely. Uh, your kids will eventually move out. They won't need you as much. Uh, if you're a big, strong guy, big, strong woman, that will eventually end. Your knees will give out. Your hair will fall out. I mean, it all comes to an end. What you what you do doesn't determine your value. What determines your value is who you are. And if you do have faith, if you have confidence in God's promises, then he tells you who you are. You're an adopted son or daughter of his, and you share in his glory. You share in his righteousness, and you get to share in his sufferings. You get to share in all of those things. Yeah. And that's where your value comes from, not what you what you do, but in culture, where your value comes from is what you do. It, it is like I meet new people all the time, and inevitably, you know, I wind up asking them, So, what do you do? And then when they tell me what they do, I put a valuation to that in some way, shape, or form subconsciously. I don't mean to do it, but if I heard somebody is like, Oh, um, you know, I'm the vice president of XYZ, yada, 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 I'm like, Oh, my. That seems like a pretty important job. And then if someone tells me something else, I might go, well, that's not, okay. You know, they'll find their way. Like I'll put, I'll put value on it. And, and it's just a natural, again, it's kind of a reflex. It's like a natural response because of what, what culture is doing. And so I don't think in any way, shape, or form what Paul is saying to Timothy uh, devalues women. In fact, I think the most valuable place for a woman and the most valuable place for a man is precisely what God designed them to do. Yeah, amen. And and what yeah. Paul is saying to Timothy is this is what men were built for. You know, men that meet these qualifications I'm going to talk about in the next chapter, this is not what God built women to do. And so the most valuable place for a man or a woman is precisely where God designed them to be. I tell Henry all the time, and I've said this on the podcast in the past, but Henry's a kid that likes to tinker with stuff, and I tell him all the time, when you use things the way they're not supposed to be used, something breaks or somebody gets hurt. And that is no truer than when people, whether it is a man that doesn't meet those qualifications as an elder or a woman, a woman that moves into that role, something's going to break and something's, something's going to get hurt, you know, what gets hurt is the integrity of God's word, and what breaks is God's design for the church, and that is a breakdown. And I know you said earlier you wouldn't say that they're false teachers, and 
Some of them are. Some I, of them I'm are. Not saying, I'm not yeah, saying some it's men a are right. Yeah. Yeah, and some men are absolutely. Yeah. Um. But what we and I I understand what what you're saying. But if 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 they're being used the way they're not supposed to be used, then that's not that's not the correct thing. That is not a true thing to do. There's mm-hmm. there's a falseness to that representation. Um. And again, it, we could go on probably for the next <laughs> several podcasts. This is a really uh, very um, relevant topic, and I think that's why this individual asked that for sure. But Jay, do you have any final thoughts? That's why I asked you to talk about those two women's testimonies because they clearly saw, okay, perhaps I've been teaching the truth. I've been <laughs> sharing what's in the scriptures right. perhaps very well. Perhaps they're charismatic. Perhaps they um, are... Uh, personable, they're great teachers. You're on the edge of their uh, of your seat listening to them, but they weren't supposed to have that role in the first place. Yeah. Um, and I said earlier that, and you did too, that Paul is throwing back to Genesis two, the created order. That's not to say that because Adam was first, that he's better than Eve or something like that. We talk about they're co-equal, right before Christ. And I mean, we did the Jacob and Esau. Uh, part of this series and sure. by faith, right? It's not like Esau was better because he was first. In right. fact, God knew that was going to happen and, and used the lineage of Jacob instead. And he definitely wasn't the one who was first. Yeah. <laughs> he was the clever one who, who stole it. Um, so I just wanted to, to throw back to that really quickly. It's not that they're, they're better than, I mean, even in the created order, animals then would supersede humans and they're not better than humans, right? It's not that they're better than, um, it is that that Adam was the yeah, overseer, and so men are overseers today. And that's not to say that every man should be an overseer. I'll, so I'll lastly say that. I'll, I'll point the people to um, a podcast that I've loved listening to, the Theology in the Raw podcast with um, Dr. Preston Sprinkle. And just when you go on um, iTunes or whatever, wherever you listen to, to podcasts, put in Theology in the Raw and Bill Mounts or Dr. Bill Mounts. We've studied some of his basics in Biblical Greek together, Mark and I have. This is the guy who um, Zondervan is, has said that 90% of seminaries use his work on Greek when kid, when people are going through Greek in seminary. Um, so this guy like wrote the, the book on Biblical Greek that's currently being used as the standard in seminaries, and he was on that podcast talking about just this question, um, and a spe- uh, specifically verse 14 of uh, 1 Timothy there. So, First Timothy two fourteen. I think that's so great. Point to that, or go back to that. Listen to what he has to say on it too. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> we got time for one more, I think. <laughs> yeah. How about we do? Um, I feel like Chad's. Your might be. Yours might be. <laughs> a quick one. Is it, uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 Real quick, uh, somebody wrote in. What does the Bible say about cremation of our body after death? <laughs> earlier I looked at Neil and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know uh, really if it has something specifically to say. I mean, I, I think about the Hebrew heritage. It seemed very, it seemed like a very big deal to to bury the dead with their families. Yeah. Um, that was a big honorable thing. So I don't know if that carries over, but that definitely seems to still hold tradition um, currently in our culture um, That's that's had some Judeo-Christian roots in America. So, But cremation has become... Much more common. But that's become more common, yeah, yeah for, for sure. sure. For sure. So I, I I wouldn't say that I have found that the Bible says anything uh, for or against it. Um, but what do you guys think? I don't know. Uh, historically, um, 
Well, you think of the resurrected body. We're going to be resurrected yeah. bodily as Christ was. Um, so yeah. there has been some thinking in the church history that, you know, our body should stay in the ground, bury yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Our body, we know, ultimately doesn't stay in the ground. Our bones do, but ultimately... Um, you it's know, my best feature. Our body wastes away. Anyway. Um, I have great bones. In fact, so so <laughs> is that the name of the podcast? Great bones. I figured that's what you meant. Yeah. <laughs> great bones. Um, some churches have taught against cremation, saying it's un it's unholy. It's yeah. not what God wants for us. Um, but there's nothing in scripture directly against it. Yeah. Uh, I always, when people ask me, I think of I think of the martyrs that were burned at the stake. Mm-hmm. They were basically cremated by force. Right. And um, you know the martyrs have that that position under the altar of God and um, God is certainly capable to resurrect their body in whatever condition he finds it in. Yeah. I don't yeah. think, I don't think the Bible condemns it. I don't think it encourages it. Yeah. That's, that's exactly where it, my mind goes. I don't think it speaks a lot to it. Yeah. Um, God, if God created ex nihilo, he can figure out the resurrection with um, any of those ways of death. So yeah. So it doesn't, it doesn't address it directly. So no. then you have to ask, what are the moral implications of it? Yeah, I don't think there are moral implications of it. Okay. Yeah, I don't either. I, the Bible doesn't prohibit it. It doesn't promote it one way or the other. Um, God says to, and Mark will get to this in his sermon series, I'm assuming. Um, but God says to Adam, when he lays out the curse, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, and that's interesting. Just going back to our conversation previously, you know, she was exercise, she was influencing um, Adam. The order was, and you talked about order first. Um, it's not necessarily designated order who who came first. It's it's God placing authority based on order, and Eve being that helper. So Eve was assuming that role. She came out of the protection of her husband. Yeah, he let her go, but she went. And I think that's that's why she's named as she, you know, was the a transgressor. So she was a part of that. Yeah. But because you've listened to the voice of your wife, because you let her in for, because she exercised authority over you, and you listened to her voice. Exactly. And have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you shall not eat of it. Uh, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So to me, cremation is just expediting the dust process. (laughs) (laughs) I was was joking with Chad when we were talking in staff meeting. I'm like, God loves, you know, when animals are burned, like he like burnt offerings. Uh, He made the sun. That's a big ball of fire. And uh, hell is called a lake of fire. I don't think God has a problem with burning stuff. I think that, you know, where a lot of people got to is precisely what Mark said. It's like, you know, oh, well, you know, our, our bodies are to be intact. And, and so, you know, we don't want to to do that or, or cremate. I think it's a personal decision. I, I don't think that, again, because scripture doesn't prohibit it and it doesn't promote it. I think if you're comfortable doing it um, with a family member and there's discussion ahead of time and that's what you want to do, it's certainly much more economical uh, for people. Um, it's, you know, not nearly as, as costly as, you know, the embalming process and having a like a, a traditional open casket type of wake where you're either renting or purchasing, um, 
a casket and all those types of things. And so if that's, but if you want to do it the other way, you can do that as well. Uh, again, I don't think there are any moral, spiritual or biblical implications um, for that. But at the end of the day, we're all going to turn to dust anyways. And, you know, God formed us from the dust once. If we turn to dust again, I'm pretty sure he could get it done a second time. So if that's someone's hesitation, you know, oh, what about the resurrection? Don't worry about that. God, yeah. God's got that covered. And that's how he did it the first the first time, and he can certainly certainly do it again. Um, but I think that's a great question because uh, you know there are I've had many conversations over the years with people that have been a little hesitant of doing that. You know, they're doing some end of life planning, and they're like, "Do you think God's okay if I get cremated?" And I said, "Yeah, I think he is. I don't think one way one way or the other." I don't so. get that question as much. In student ministry. Not in student ministry. Well, there yeah. I, I get, is my pet going to be in heaven with me <laughs> a lot more? So. What do you tell him? Yeah. We'll add that to the next one. <laughs> we, we, we need more time. Yeah. Uh, I've told people often, we had this cat, Guthrie, and he was just a jerk. He loved me, but he hated everybody else. Yeah. And uh, I had somebody, after we had to put him down, I was a mess, disaster after we had to put him down. Like, I had to pull over on the side of the road because I was crying so hard and all that. And uh, so next Sunday... Um, I had posted something, I think, on Facebook or something like that. But somebody came up to me, and they're like, you know, I truly believe that our animals um, are going to be in, in heaven. And I was like, that animals are going to be in heaven. And I said, even if that's true, I go, there's no way Guthrie made it. <laughs> <laughs> like, he was such a jerk. <laughs> there's no, He never repented of everything. <laughs> he was such a terrible cat. <laughs> Oddly enough, when we got the new cats, uh, the one cat looks almost identical to, to Guthrie. And everybody's like, is that weird for you? I'm like, I find it comforting. I like those style cats, like that gray tabby cat. Very soft. I like the way they look. I'm like, it's good enough. <laughs> this cat eats way too much, though. Yeah. Yeah, we call him Big Al. His name's Alan, nice. but we call him Big Al. So, all right, well, we can wrap this up. How was your Father's Day? Father's Day was good. Yeah? What'd, yeah. You, what'd you do? I just chilled all day, honestly. I didn't do anything <laughs> crazy. All right. I'm, I'm not a golfer. How do you chill? Barbecue. I mean, I hung out with my son outside. Okay. Yeah. We, I got him a little penny board that day. And what's that? It's a very tiny skateboard. Takes, oh. Takes, okay. It's more challenging um, for your balance. Did you get that off of the phone book? <laughs> Close. Goodwill. <laughs> uh, so some kid um, had their penny board with them last Wednesday, and I was just gliding around. Yeah. The parking lot with it. And then I went to Goodwill trying to find Ledger some shoes. And I saw two of them, a, sm a smaller one and a bigger one. And I was like, they're made for us. So, so it's a regular and, skateboard, but just scaled down. Yeah. They're scaled down. And, okay. Yeah. Do you still have it? Like your skill? Yeah. I, yeah. I was whipping around this parking pretty lot. Good. Yeah. I was very surprised. Yeah. So nice. So you did some skateboarding with your son? Did some skateboarding with him. Did you have anything special as far as food goes? No. No. Nothing special. Okay. Nothing. I had Wendy's, <laughs> to be honest. I appreciate that. Honestly, I find that to be very special. It's like early cheat day. Yeah. $5 biggie bag. Let's go. <laughs> is, is that what you got? What do you get there? Burger? Yeah. The They're double, well the known for stack, their burgers. The double stack and the strawberry frosty. Okay. Mm -hmm. You like frosties? Oh, I love frosties. Yeah. Do you like frosties? French fries and yeah. frosties. I don't get it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't understand. French like, fries and the frosties. It's not a milkshake, but it's not ice cream. Yeah. I find it to be in between and... I don't like that for oh, some yeah. reason. It's not real ice. You dip your fries from, in it. From a this bag. is what people tell me yeah. to dip your fries in it. Such a great salty and sweet snack. You got to do it. Is it okay? 
Yeah. yeah you got to eat it with a spoon. I always, when I th- you think of burger places, I think of eating and driving because it's always, yeah. you know, very rarely would I, you know, go to McDonald's and then drive home, get out a plate. Yeah. Take it out of the wrapper, put it on the plate every once in a while. You know, we'll do that because, you know, we've got some places that are close to our house. But yeah, for me, it's always about driving. I thought, how can I eat a frosty as I drive and not put others in harm's way? Oh, yeah. Don't do that. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and then what did you do, Mark, for Father's Day? What'd you smoke? Uh, I didn't smoke anything. I didn't do any cooking. Did you also just, chill? Just cigarettes. Uh, we went to Shake Shack <laughs> yeah. and then um, walked around Cracker Park a little bit. Okay. Yeah. And Shake Shack, what would you give it out of an, uh, a 10 scale? Oh, is it open? 10 being Veda asked Veda asked how many stars are restaurants rated out of. And I said five. Six. And she said, I will give it 12. Nice. She really liked it then. She said it was life-changing. Shake what did she? Life-changing. What did she get that was so life-changing? A burger. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it just hit for her. Yeah. She just does a burger with cheese, nothing else. Plain burger, cheese. No ketchup? Nope. Wow. It's the East Coast in and out. In so that really opinion. flat, Yeah, that's how crispy. I described it to Brandy. Like, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a cultish, kind of very popular. So good. Um, yeah. What would you rate it, though? 12. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'll go with Veda. <laughs> now I'm a parent, so you see everything through their eyes. It's like, they, she loved it, then I, I'm fine. <laughs> right. Like, it could, uh, right, your joy's determined yeah. on her, based on yeah, hers. Really. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's good. It was really good, actually. I've been craving burgers lately. So have you? It was. You do them at home ever? Yeah, we do burgers at home sometimes. Yeah. Do you get? How do you do this? And then we'll end this podcast. I'm just curious. Are you frozen patty, and then you know, real thin pre-made frozen patty? You put it on there. Will you do that, or are you getting ground beef and then forming the patty yourself, or are you buying ground beef that is like? Do you have a preference? We do all. It really just depends on the week. Yeah. Yeah. We do all the above. Okay. What do you do when you make burger? Do you I've make? done both too. Yeah, do it just depends. Do you prefer same exact answer? Yeah. I, well, I prefer making them. Yeah, yeah. From ground, but yeah. You, you put something fancy in there, spice wise. Salt, no, salt, no, salt and pepper typically is you know keep no. it easy. That's it. Mm-hmm. You like them real thin, and you like them thick and. Oh, I love smash burgers, but yeah, I don't. You you need like the actual press for all that. I should get one of those. Yeah. Yeah, like Shake Shack were thin. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're quite smashed, but they're cl- it felt close to it. I like those. They actually were on the small side. Of, yeah. Were they? Okay. Yeah, that would yeah. be my only complaint is that the burgers were on the small side. We're, what are we looking at price wise? Are we at in five, five guys price? Five guys yeah. territory. Yeah. So fine dining then. Fries and a burger <laughs> yeah. would be eleven bucks. <laughs> okay. Shakes are like six or seven bucks for a shake. Boy, oh boy. Yeah. Dang. I gotta tell you. Well, it's in the name. That that's their thing is the Shake Shack. So I guess. Yeah. They're yeah. Is it? I mean, are the shakes? Like really good, or are you, I mean, is it? Oh, we didn't have any actually that day. We ended up going to Mitchell, so we we didn't get shakes. We just got burgers. Yeah. Brandy went with Veda earlier in the week. Oh, this was actually okay. Veda's second time eating there for her. Um, and they got shakes. We should get her a subscription to that place. Do, you, do they do those? I oof, I don't know. Is there a bracelet you can buy that I would? Yeah, <laughs> all you can eat. So the backstory is is that we went to this um, duct tape <laughs> festival at. Uh, <laughs> Crusher Stadium, and I was eating lunch today, and I was telling Mark, I'm like, it was a little pricey. Like, you had to buy these tickets, and each ticket wound up being, I don't know, it was like... For the rides. For the rides, for yeah. the rides, yeah. yeah. And so I had these two gigantic sheets, and each sheet had 20 tickets on it, so I bought 40 tickets. I think it was like 45 bucks or something like that, and uh, and I'm sitting here... <laughs> 
carrying around these sheets of tickets and coming up to these rides and they're like four tickets. I'm trying to tear them off. Nothing's tearing right. I'm having a quite a bit of trouble here. And Mark says to me, why don't you just get that bracelet? And I said, well, what bracelet? Apparently there was a bracelet, at least when Mark went. <laughs> and probably the whole time. It's definitely the Firefest bracelet. Where, 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 yeah, for <laughs> you pay 25 bucks and you go. Uh, unlimited. Unlimited. Yeah. I'm sitting here with these two sheets, <laughs> counting out tickets. Because every ride was a different amount of tickets. Right. Yeah. And so I'm trying somewhere to... Somewhere three, somewhere five, somewhere, yeah. Yeah. And he's walking around, you know, brace it, all access VIP. Yeah. And I didn't see that anywhere. And then if I wanted to go on a ride with one of my kids, I just said, can I go on with them? And they didn't, like... Yeah, like, yeah, just question it right. You got backstage yep. passes. <laughs> yep. I'm sitting here. I'm like, I know the band. Like, we went to high school together. They're like, no, you're not even allowed to watch. So, all the workers beforehand for training, they were like, hey, if you see a guy or gal with no bracelet on, just milk it. Yeah. <laughs> Let them count their tickets. That's it. <laughs> like, they missed, they missed the order. Yeah. yeah this oh. is infuriating to me. They got to chase that carnival down. <laughs> Rumor has it, it's the same crew that'll be at the North Homestead Homecoming Fest this year. Really? I don't know why I know that, but... Are we allowed to go to that? Uh, it seems like a high school event. No, North Ol- it's the North Olmsted Homecoming is like a... It's, oh, it is, it's like oh I, I thought it was like North Olmsted's. <laughs> yeah. It's like Avon Heritage Days. So I'm going to pose Got as a it. high schooler to get my bracelet. <laughs> I really I'm need this bracelet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope you I went king this year. <laughs> right. What's up, fellow kids? Right. <laughs> Can I borrow some of your grateful shirts? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, what yeah. size do you wear? <laughs> I, I have larges and XLs. XLs. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, bring me the XLs. All right. All right. <laughs> I need that a backwards cap. <laughs> and then what size shoe do you wear? I'm going to terminate. I'm going to be like a Terminator, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll just yeah. give your bracelet. <laughs> I have the uh, homecoming bracelet. I'd like to use. <laughs> I know, like, my kids got home. We got home at like four. We stayed till before dinner. I must and, have just missed you. Yeah. I'm we, sure we passed in the parking lot. Probably. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they all ripped off their bracelets like immediately. Yeah. And when we got home and then like they're sitting there like, well, I, you know, I thought mom could like take you guys back after dinner. Just <laughs> All just mess. A, like, just a mess. Oh, no. Like, yeah. Why'd you take them off? Right. We, we yeah. can't go back now. Yeah. Yeah. We almost went the next day because we went on Saturday. I could have given you those bracelets and you could have taped them back on and none of those workers would have batted an eye. I don't yeah. Think. It was like, yeah I'm trying like, to think if I would have been okay with that because I got priced gouged. <laughs> <laughs> but then now something morally is wrong. With, I'm going to write in a question to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I was going to do it anonymously, uh, but uh, I don't know if that's a thing now. <laughs> Let's figure it out. Yeah. A lot of gosh. Everything's still in the dark. We'll day. be brought to light. It's true. It's true. Sir, did you tape those bracelets? No. <laughs> oh, man. I feel like such a doofus. I overpaid by 15 bucks and then caused myself an unreasonable <laughs> amount of stress. Yeah. Like, first, like, I didn't realize, like, I could pre, like, uh, like, everything was three or four or five tickets. And so... Henry, yeah. you know, like these certain rides, it was like, let me pre-tear these, but I got a line of kids behind me, and I'm like trying to fold the thing and and get in. The workers just look at me like, yeah, this guy's such a doofus. And then the sheets were this big. Yeah. They were the size of a piece of paper, and it, the night was almost over when I was like, oh, I could have folded these up. But I'm just carrying these sheets around. You know, I got a... This is your first time dadding? It felt like it. Yeah, I don't know. It was something. Did you ride any of the rides? 
Uh, no, I just I did the slide with CC because okay. she needed some moral support. Rachel but. went on that uh, berry go round. Oh they yeah, called it because it was a strawberry. Oh. No, they called it a berry go round. That was round. the first one oh, we did. Gosh. And you could see in there, uh, and the first three or four passes, she was fine. And then after that, it was three minutes of this. <laughs> that was a long one. It, it went seemed to go on, on forever. forever. Yeah. yeah, I'm sitting here getting baked in the sun. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like I'm trying to keep the tickets out of the sun because I don't know if they fade a little bit. <laughs> if they're gonna they're like, listen, these are light red and today's dark red tickets. <laughs> you bought these somewhere else. Zach, we saw Zach and Marissa and the kids there, and Zach came up to me and he's like, Hey, we had some extra tickets. He's like, yeah. and we're taking off. And I was like, Okay. <laughs> and he handed me one yellow ticket. <laughs> Zach, I know you're listening. Thank you. That was very generous. <laughs> Where did that ticket come but he, from? He came up behind me. He's like, here, we had an extra. And it was one ticket. And I thought, first of all, I'm immediately stressed because I'm like, this is yellow. No rides or I'm one like, ticket. And I know, I thought Zach was there the day before because didn't you guys do something yeah, for yeah. trail he life? there all weekend. Yeah. And I'm like, this dude wants me to use Friday tickets on Saturday. Like, I'm going to wind up in carnival jail. <laughs> like, I don't know what carnival jail is like. It's probably you go in the berry go around for you know, 10 days or something like that. It's the name of this podcast. <laughs> Carnival <laughs> Jail. <laughs> and so I'm all stressed out and I'm getting it, but it, I'm thankful because Zach, had we not had that ticket, we wouldn't have been able to do. So Zach, thank you very much. Um, we wouldn't been able to do that, but then I'm folding tickets up and I'm like, I'm trying to figure out how I can hide. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to hide this yellow ticket amongst the red. <laughs> And then but still hand, get credit for but it. still get credit <laughs> yeah. for it. So I'm like, if I turn it backwards, and so I flip it over, and I'm like, it's yellow on every side. There's no getting rid of this. So I'm looking at Rachel. I'm like, you got some lipstick or something? Something I can color this up with. And so I just folded it in, and I just handed it. And I shouldn't have been stressed because at this point I was a veteran. Henry had gone on like seven rides, yeah. and not a single worker checked the tickets. No. I could have handed them bubblegum wrappers, and yeah. they would have been like, it's fine. Like they're oh, just, yeah. they're just, I don't know. So I handed the ticket, and the guy looked at the in the and he flipped it, and the yellow one was right on the top. And I was like, "Just be cool, dude. Just be cool. <laughs> just be cool." And he just stuffed it in the little uh, holder, and I got and Henry got to go on his ride. But, who man, yeah, very stressful. Anyways, I highly recommend the uh, duct tape festival. <laughs> Sounds like it. Oh man, it was hilarious. <laughs> I highly recommend the bracelets. Yeah, yeah. From now on, from now on. Um, we could hear the bands from our house and the band Saturday night. There's this guitar player just killing it. Oh my goodness. The yeah. tone. I mean, just and took this like little guitar solo and I'm like standing on our back patio, just like taking it. <laughs> yeah. When we were there on oh, they were super uh, Friday good. night, yeah, there was a band like kind of a cover band, a rock band. Yeah. Playing a lot of the, you know, the standards. And it made me think of you. I thought, yeah. I wondered if Neil would ever do this. I would love to do that. Yeah. I, I think that would be so fun. Because they played some, they even played some Van Halen. They had a couple. We heard some of it on, on Friday. And then, yeah, Saturday, I don't know, Rachel, I would remember the name of the guy, um, but it was some British guy. But I mean, he just sounded, his, his voice was incredible. The band was tight. Yeah. But the tone of this guitar player, it was just so good and just. I thought, man, I would love to do that. Like if I had extra time, I would love to do like an old like 70s, 80s, yeah. maybe even 90s cover band. And Yeah, there's a market for it. There is. Yeah. Like, and, and not to, you know, back when I was trying to, you know, in a band, I, it was always disappointing because we wanted to be famous that, yeah. and it was never happening. And so to, to do something with just the expectation to have fun yeah. uh, would, yeah. be, would be great. So perhaps in retirement, a lot of the, the, the bands that we saw, 
the guys were probably in there like late 50s oh yeah early 60s yeah, was friday night yeah yeah and it's like you know you're wondering if their careers are winding down and they're just doing that for fun i thought I yeah should. they're just doing it for, yeah probably yeah. just for fun it'd be super fun but all right well i think that's enough you guys want to talk about keys anymore are we good so good <laughs> all right well thank you so much for watching the atrium if you would like to submit a question to the podcast you can email podcast at hopechristianchurch.com or you can text your question to 440 hope 222 thank you pastor mark thank you pastor chad mm -hmm. for your insight and wisdom today and i think we will see you i think next week unless somebody else is going on vacation VBS next week. Oh, yeah. Get signed up for VBS. That's right. Yep, VBS. What do we got? Zach said today, like 150 kids yeah. registered. Yeah. We always get a bunch that night. So, yeah, it should be a good time. You'll yeah. get your bracelet at the door. That's right. I would buy the tickets. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks for watching. Bye.